You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host Justin, and we've got a full crew again with us tonight. Uh, Dan and Jason have joined us. Hey, what's up? Komate komate kora! Sweet! Hadamai! Hadamai! Dan is in rare form tonight. He's got his, I'm assuming, Diet Coke and peanut M&M's. The, the wrong thing to be eating at this time of night. Caffeine and sugar. This is insomnia-inducing snacking. The night snacking. is young. <laughs> but since we are podcasting, it is absolutely the right thing. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> Stimulus. Awesome. We've got a great show for you guys tonight. We are going to be talking about pre-written adventures, pre-published adventures, canned adventures, railroad mongers, whatever you want to call them. We're going to be talking about them tonight. Um, well, let's that's get the plan, s- at least. I mean, that is the plan. Let's <laughs> we'll get started with Geek Week. Jason, since you're eager to chime in, what has your Geek Week been like? Oh, I had a small Geek Week. Uh, I took the family to the beach last week. Um, but I took with me, um, I have a couple uh, solo games, and one of them I took with me was something called Star Smuggler, which is a print-and-play game from 1982, actually. Oh, okay. And actually, Neat. that's the second edition, so I don't actually know when the first edition came out. But it's a smart Star Smuggler. Uh, you play the role of a Duke Springer. <laughs> um, he is a uh, captain down on his luck. You start the game literally as you've got a ship and like a limited amount of fuel and a small amount of cash. And the way the game is played is you have two rule books, very tiny print print rule books. And actually, you can get the entire thing on Board Game Geek um, right now. But it, it's a total rules game. So you start and you go to rule one, right? And rule one says read encounter one. And then you open the encounter book to one, and it gives you the adventure begins. And then you you basically that says you have a bunch of choices. You're sitting in a star point, a starport at this system. Your ship is docked. What do you want to do? And depending on what you want to do, you go to that rule in the rule book. Like, for example, um, you know, if you want to investigate, you go to rule 204. So you open the rule book to rule 204, and it says investigate has these different options you can do. You can, you, you know, you can, you can try to look for someone around town. You can uh, try your luck here or there. And depending on that, you go to different areas in the rule book. And uh, you roll, you, you have one six-sided dice, and or two six-sided dice, and at di- certain times in the rules, you roll the dice, and that gives you encounters, which flip you over to the encounter book. The whole game is in two little pamphlets, and a, and a dice, and a pencil, and a sheet of paper. Interesting. And you can play it for hours and hours and hours. Now, I will say I've played this game many, many times over the years. And every time I open it up, I have a single little, you know, gallon-sized plastic bag I keep it in. And I've got all of the sheets of paper from every time I've ever played the game. And <clears throat> it's one of those games that takes no time to set up. You just sit down and you can start playing. But you start geeking out about, oh my gosh, I'm managing a spaceship. You know, I'm keeping a ledger. I'm getting, having all this interesting stuff. And about an hour and a half in, you realize, oh my gosh, I have a full-time job. <laughs> and you just you realize, this isn't fun anymore. You know, and I realized that two and a half hours in this last time. And and once I finished, like, I did one job. I made, like, a measly amount of money. I got off the planet, went delivered a bunch of, like, uh, a, a, a bunch of, uh, I don't know, uh, miners over to another system nearby because they didn't want to mine anymore. And they gave me a little bit of money. And afterwards, I looked down, and I had a ledger full of transactions, two and a half hours lost of my life. 
and pulled out all these sheets of papers from the prior times I've played, and it was all me getting to like the exact same point. I'd gotten through <laughs> one job, I'd gotten through one job, a measly amount of money, and decided that I was done playing. Like over 10 years I've had this game. So anyways, fun game if you geek out over simulation. It is pure captain simulation like it's really it's so much really, that yeah it's like pen and paper elite dangerous <laughs> it, oh, yeah. absolutely actually i mean it really is anyway there used so, to be there used to be a uh, a star trek battles simulator game from uh, fasa when they had the license for trek and everybody who played it loved it except it was so much work just to keep the keep track of everything on your ship yeah. it's like space combat with all of the fun and adventures of four column accounting <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah anyways if you're into like like hardcore simulation it's great because you really you, as long as you're okay reading you you will sit there at the table and you will feel like you are truly like making ends meet with scraps at the table uh, but uh, keeping track of everything. It's it's an okay game if you're good to that. I so pull it out is, about once every year and a half. This is Star Smuggler? Star Smuggler. It's a print and play. You can get it on Board Game Geek. Um, How much is it? It's it's free. It's a print oh, and play. Okay. Yeah, you can just download the files and print them yourself. And you were obviously playing it solo. Could you play it with like two or three people? Um, or is it it's a solo, a solo game? game. Okay. I'm sure you could find some way to do that, but um, it is a solo game. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, you could be together being like, oh, well, my ship just broke down. How's your guys doing? <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean, you know, reach running your own solo game. It'd be like playing yeah. solitaire Ex- together. Expand the yeah. simulation. <laughs> Something Anyways. tells me there's other games that may be more fun to play there with might other be. people. There might be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That was me. That was my week. It's probably like a great introvert's party game. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah, wouldn't it be funny if you go into a, all right, guys, thanks for coming over. Uh, your 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 table is over there in that corner. Here's your copy of Star Smuggler. And, oh, thank you. Uh, if, thank you. you know, we'll see you in uh, maybe an hour or two. Yeah, sounds and good. talk about good. Compare Ledgers. Uh, well, yeah. and it, there are there are people out there that can't get an RPG group going, and solo RPGs are a real thing. That's and true. They're real fun, yep. and people out there get derive a lot of enjoyment out of them, just like we did with Choose Your Own Adventure. Oh they're my god! They're very gosh. similar, yes. except sometimes there's a random element like read all those books. roll dice and stuff like that. So, uh, we played a game, Jason. Of it. Yeah, and we have the game. Yeah, you know they have a second one out too. Oh, did they? Yeah, I haven't gotten the second one yet, but. The uh, the first one, the something of Doctor something. I don't Is that remember what it was called. I just the, remember it was called Choose Your Own Adventure. Choose Your Own Adventure, but it's the it's the specific book. It's the one with the house where yeah. you go, you know, the house with the time traveling and the crazy doctor and, anyways, fun stuff. The but island of Doctor Moreau. Yeah, it makes you you want to say that you want to say it. But it's it's something different, I think. But yeah. yeah. Okay. How about you, Dan? How was your Geek Week? Um, pretty geeky for not being that geeky um i i was on facebook last night and a buddy of mine from new zealand i used to live in new zealand a few decades ago and uh, that explains my maori chanting at the beginning of of this episode um his this dude's sister somehow got jewel settee which is kaylee from firefly on cameo to leave my buddy like a five minute long happy birthday message like it wasn't just like hey happy birthday i hope you're doing well it was like hey your sister tells me you got promoted congratulations and you're house hunting and she just kept going on and on and i'm like if i was my buddy there (laughs) 
would have been five inches off the ground. I don't know if you guys are brown coats and watched um, Firefly, but it's hard not to have a soft spot for Kaylee, even if you just watched it a little bit. But um, that oh, was something totally. that I don't know if she paid for that. I don't know if that's a service. I don't know how that was derived out of the universe, but um, she's like, hey, if you're if your sister wanted me to leave you a message, that means you must be a brown coat. I love brown coats. The whole thing was <laughs> nice. just amazing. So that was geeky. I participate in it by watching a video very little um the rpg stuff we did we had a castle falkenstein which was an rpg from the 1980s with our theme tonight um which had a horrible rule system we didn't actually use that rule system it required you know a deck of cards as as the randomizer and the guy who ran it loved it's like swashbuckling, you know, 1890s, uh, fairies are real, magic is real, but it's also steampunk. Mm-hmm. And this is this is one of those, you know, hyper-blended universes. It was so great. You know, we did about four or five episodes and then called it good. And we, we ran it using, per our last big discussion, using the Genesis system. Cool. I, I learned one thing about that. If your GM says, let's have a session zero so I can explain how I'm going to run the game. That does not mean go make your character min-max him and bring him to the session zero. <laughs> that means the opposite. Because I had a character that I threw in the trash because he's like, well, this is how we're going to do magic. And I'm breaking. I'm throwing these rules away, and I'm throwing these rules away, and I'm throwing these rules away. I'm like, okay, I'm throwing this character away. <laughs> I'll start over. <laughs> but, hey, lesson learned. Lesson learned. Um, That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was it's it was an interesting thing. I'm sure you could go on, you know, uh, go online and, and find Castle Falkenstein. It, it it seemed like it it's meant to be very swashbuckling, very uh, Princess Bride kind of theme type stuff. I've I've heard of it. Um, I I don't think I'm too familiar with it, but I remember people talking about it. Yeah, yeah. I I had a good time. Uh, I thought it was. I thought the whole campaign was going in one direction. And the, the GM surprised me, and I like being surprised by a story, so that's great. Uh, the other geek thing I did is uh, before I could build my own customized game table, my wife said, "You gotta build, ta- you gotta build a bench, a picnic uh, table, and benches for the back deck." So yeah, I saw them; they look great. I just finished that tonight, yeah. and <laughs> in fact, tonight before I got online, I was. Um, uh, staining and polyurethaneing. So I'm that's why you're in a good mood because you finished a project. Oh my gosh! And okay. the fumes. And the fumes. Oh yes, and the fumes. That <laughs> yeah, explains that good it. Stuff. That explains yeah. it. I knew right, a diet coke couldn't do all of this. No, no, it, it takes a lot. I'm so addicted to that diet coke. It's almost like <laughs> drinking nothing for me now. So did you create that yourself, or did you follow plans? We found some plans online, and uh, that which great. is which is I, I recommend it. I don't recommend. Th- this is a thing where the tube. There are two benches that have a back. You can lean back in them, or you can mm-hmm. transform it into a table and two benches. I don't recommend transforming two-by-four lumber furniture because there's so many imperfections that oh, it's, yeah. almost, it's almost impossible to get it to line up. And then you're spending big money on great wood, and then you're like, why don't I just buy something for the backyard? So, uh, But it was fun, and it got my uh, spouse very in favor. Now I've, I've, cl- I've cleared the deck for my custom game table. So did you? Um, so did you use uh, expensive wood, or did you? Do you have a planer? 
or what? No, I didn't. I used uh, it's it's crafty. You know, I just used uh, studs. You know, from yeah. Home Depot gotcha. and mm-hmm. uh, figured out how 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 long I can fit in my small SUV. I figured out how how long how many beams I can fit in my small there SUV yep. without rolling down a window. I thought I was gonna have to roll down a window. I didn't have to roll down a window, so that was good. Very cool. It looks great, um, man. Yeah. So that that means I have clear decks now. Speaking of my new game table. In years past, in different gaming times, we've had different chair situations for a group of guys to come down and play an RPG. Yeah. And what we've determined is those wonderful, cheapo IKEA chairs are insufficient. Hot garbage. Hot garbage. A couple reasons. They're uncomfortable. They're plastic. And let's just say, and I'll put myself at the top of the list, there are gamers who are a little, you know, and I'm not body shaming anybody because this includes me, a little husky. Um, and so those chairs are the wrong chairs. I want, when we sit down, I want to sit down and do like a four or five, six hour campaign on a Saturday. And that means having great chairs. Now I've gone online. I've seen a lot of guys buy like spinning, you know, cushy office chairs with, with, you know, armrests. And it's just that that's really not going to work for my space at all. Um, there's the really no way to store them very well. And you got to put plastic down over your carpet and, and wouldn't right. nobody's sitting in them. They just take up a lot of space. So, um, and I decided not to go with folding chairs because if you're folding a chair, you've already compromised a ton. But what I did find was, okay, so in what other place in the universe do you need chairs that are going to hold up for years and years, have a lot of cush, and maybe are stackable? And I went on Amazon and I found Hercules church chairs with these really high cushy backs. Nice. They, are, they have them in like 9, 10, 11 colors. They're rated for 800 pounds for, Whoa. yeah, so, you know, no, no worries, no worries there. There should be plenty comfortable for any oh, guests. I'm looking at them. I'm looking at them. Yeah, and if you go on their site, uh-huh. they will even embroider a logo on the chair. I'm not going to do that. Now you're thinking, well, what do these things cost? For four of them, it's about 245 bucks. So they're a little over 60 bucks a chair, which if you compare that to the flimsy garbage you have to at Ikea for like you know, 30, 35, 40 bucks, they'll sell you a folding chair, which will melt yeah. under your butt while you're sitting in it. $60 a chair is a pretty good deal and they're stackable and they have all these great church features like maybe you want a basket underneath or maybe you want a flap on the back to put stuff in so they may have gamer application beyond religious service services and um i've picked them out i have not cleared these with the wife i think i'm just gonna buy them and have them show up (laughs) (laughs) okay everybody turn to your cthulhu hymnal we will now we will now summon Dagon. Yep. So, somebody has solved this problem. Somebody said, well, we got to put a really old fat lady in a chair for four hours. <laughs> they look super comfortable. What's the, what's the name of the chairs again? Uh, they're Hercules series, uh, flash furniture four pack Hercules series, 18 and a half inch width stacking church chair. <laughs> They are. They don't. They look comfortable. They look more comfortable than what we usually have at the nice hotels at Gen Con. So, um, and those those hold up really well. Those, oh yeah, uh, I've on some of those. I mean, those are chairs. those are some. I mean, they're solid. Uh, you know, metal welded frames. You know. Yeah. So they yeah. are. They're, what color they're not are you getting? I'm gonna get the bright red because I'm I'm burning my family crest into the surface of my game t- t- oh, uh, table, 
and the colors of my of my family coat of arms is is red and yellow and a little bit of green and so i'm probably going to just pick the bright red i like it it's gonna look cool man yeah so and and they're not that you can get four of them for 246 bucks it's not a bad deal uh especially if you try They'll to last go you forever yeah, if you try to go on Wayfair and buy like oh, spinning office Wayfair. chairs, yeah. you're you're talking 125 bucks a chair, and that's almost that's twice. It's literally literally twice the price. So yeah, that's my solution, and I hope other people can find the joy, find the religion of gaming in their game room. That's very awesome. cool. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, for my geek week, <laughs> just like it. finally me. I know. Okay, uh, my turn. No, um, I did. I've been doing painting. Um, I've I've set this artificial deadline of our con for like to get the these Warcry bands done. You know. Now to for the listeners out there, I've had these this Warcry box for how, how long have we had this box for a year and a half now? Yeah, Jason? it's been that long. Yeah, I think it's been about a year and a half. It, we got it right when it came out. And I haven't painted them at all. Like I have, I half of them weren't even assembled, and I still have the chaotic beast to do. But um, with the coronavirus, with like, you know, our guildcon coming up, like it's really kind of lit a fire under me to kind of win the war on the gray plastic in my hobby room. And um, I've been fighting back uh, like a valiant soldier and just painting, painting, painting. And so, um, getting a bunch of that stuff done, I'm, I'm happy with the progress, but of course I'm like, oh, I don't have enough time, don't have enough time, but, you know, that's just me. Um, well, don't kill yourself, man. I'm sure people still have fun, even if they aren't painted. I know, I know. But there's, you know, there's the spirit of it. That's There the is. My, I don't so. know if I'm going to, I might do a, if I can get to it, I might just do a little highlight on it. I mean, that's better than nothing, right? Yeah. It doesn't look bad, too, if you get it on there. Yeah. And sometimes so, having half of them painted is it gets the effect. Yeah, yeah. And a zenithal highlight, you know, you've got the different shadows, like mm-hmm. it's it's black, and you got some gray and the white on there, and it looks way because I mean the details are still poking out a little bit, you know. I mean they're not colored, but you um you, you still get the details, so they're it's better than nothing. It's better than straight gray for sure. Right. But um, anyway, been doing that, and then I've been prepping um a homebrew Shadow of the Demon Lord campaign which I'm 80% done with. And then I'm prepping the um, Warhammer 40K Death Watch game that we have on the Friday of our GuildCon. And that'll be an interesting game because I'm using the module for um, Gen Con that came out with this system in 2014. So it was Gen Con 2014 Mm. that they Mm -hmm. had this game, and this was the module that was part of the Humble Bundle that they gave so um it's like a perfect convention scenario um so the nice thing about that is that i know the length of it i know what's going on with it i just need to familiarize myself with the nuances between the death watch rules and the rogue trader rpg rules they're essentially the same but there's a couple things that are a little bit different you know because it's sort of a new edition um one of the things that's interesting and and i'll kind of just talk about this a little bit but one of the things that's interesting is that um in Death Watch, you're given a mission, right? And there's a series of objectives that you have to try to meet, right? So basically, at the beginning of each of your missions, it's like a briefing. Like, you sit down as a squad. You know, you're a squad of space marines. And you're either, you know, hunting Xenos like uh, Orcs or Tau or Eldar or something like that. Or you're hunting Tyranids, um, you know, or Chaos Marines or whatever you're doing. Um, but you, you have your mission. 
and each objective in your mission you're giving you're given an amount of requisition points and you take that to the um you take that to the uh the quartermaster and that's how you get your gear for the game hmm and so, you know, you're like, okay, this, this mission will get you 25 requisition points. This mission is 10. This mission's 15. This mission's 50. So you add that all up. You have 100 requisition points to split amongst you. Go and get it. So you may be like, okay, uh, I want to take, like, three grenades, a flamethrower, uh, you know, like, we want bolters for each of us, that type of thing. And um, that's how you get some of your gear. That's, for, a, think, that's a min-maxer's dream. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And the interesting thing is you know what your objectives are, so you kind of know already, like, what your opponents are probably going to be. You know, like, if you're fighting Tyranids, you're going to want, like, a lot of shots because there's just hordes of these bugs coming at you versus, like, if you're going after some Eldar, you're going to want to have some heavy hitters or something like that, you know, so... Um, it's kind of interesting. I, I think that I think it's a kind of a cool way instead of just saying, "All right, well, before we get started, you guys can go to the store. What do you want to buy?" <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, you do that because people want to get get new gear. But I think it's kind of interesting to say, like, "All right, go see the quartermaster. This is what we're giving you as your allotment to spend there." You right. know, so you have mm-hmm. to you have to work through that. So it's kind of kind of interesting concept. Cool. Yeah, um, and then the Indominus box for Warhammer 40K came out, and I was going to put it on the shelf and not touch it, and then I realized that I needed to do some things to get some more models, and so Don't I Don't touch up... it! It's pure evil! <laughs> Come I on. Ended, I ended up opening up the box, I sold the Necron half, shipped that out um, yesterday to some guy in California, and then put together the rest of the models, giving them to another friend to sell them online for me um, in order to get another box at another price. And anyway, it's just a whole complicated thing. But my point that I wanted to make was is that in one night, I put together all the Space Marine halves, so the Space Marine half of the entire box. And normally, that would take me a lot longer to do. Because, you know, I, I clip them off the sprue, you file them down so there's no, like little nubs like on there you know everything's nice and smooth for when you prime it um but these new models that are coming out that that um games workshops putting out they're really amazing like they've got all of the like the little clip parts like where you you know clip them off the sprue they're in hidden spots so that when you glue it together like they don't show so even if you do a bad clip job or a bad filing job or something like that it doesn't show up there and the mold lines are hidden by the different poses that they have. So, and they fit together like they're kind of a push to fit style model where you have like pegs and holes that match mm-hmm. up, you know? So, mm-hmm. it's almost impossible to put these things together wrong, and it's super fast to put them together quick. You, you know, know, it's good it's good that they're doing that. And over the years, um, there's been certain models have had more attention, I think, to mm-hmm. the assembly detail than others. Um, and you know, one thing that's interesting is is a while ago I decided I wanted to paint some minis and before this is before I was getting into the GW minis I went and got some uh, and I always say how do you say the Malif- Malif- Malifo there you go yeah Malifo yeah yeah because uh, that's right anyways um, they do that their minis hide mold lines yeah. and hide the um, the little uh, uh, connection points very well 
very well. Um, <clears throat> so it's really cool to see that GW is starting to say, hey, you know, let's see if maybe from this point forward they focus that on all the models that come out yeah. or not. Yeah. Now, there's a downside to this, um, which is that to kit bash these, and Dan, are you familiar with the term kit bashing? Oh, yes. I'm yeah. a sci-fi nerd, <laughs> and I know how a lot of those Star Trek models before CGI got made. Oh, yeah. So, you know, for, for listeners that are like, what the heck is he talking about kit bashing? Um, kit bashing is when you basically take parts from another kit and you put it with another, you know, with the kit that you have and you sort of like swap one arm for another arm or, you know, a weapon for another weapon and you sort of make this unique looking model. And there's a lot of uh, what's called green stuff involved to help, you know, fill gaps and make new cloaks or, you know, hoods or whatever you want to do. And, um, um, kit bashing is a big part of the hobbying world with models and in 40k and stuff like that. You want to make a giant orc war boss. You'll take some from the Age of Sigmar models. You'll take some for the 40k models and you start bashing them together, you know. These new models, um, they are arranged in such a way that, A, there's not a lot of bits left over. You know, maybe you'll have an extra gun that you didn't, that you chose not to put on one mm -hmm. model versus another. Um, but there's not a lot of little bits left over. And B, um, they fit in a way that is like, you know, it's cut like weird diagonal almost, you know, where you have like a leg and a torso, the front part of the torso. And then the other part is like the right leg and the back part of the torso. And then they fit together, yeah. and you're like, you can't... It's not like I'm just swapping out a leg. It's so integral to that model that you can't just swap it out. And the way that the arms fit on there, they're what's called monopose, which means that you can't adjust the pose that they're in. You can't, you know, like... That model's going to have a raised left arm with a sword in his hand, whether you want it to have it or not, because of the way that the model is configured and that fits together, you know? So... I know that there are some complaints out there about these models because you can't kit bash them, and there's a lot of people that love doing it. But I'm telling you, as one who put it all together, I, I mean, I like them. Yeah, well, at least it's harder to kit bash. <clears throat> right. It requires a lot more green stuff and and cutting and sculpting your own. You I think to. it's going to get to a point where people are going to have to start modeling their own stuff. Believe it or not. Well, Just, with 3D printing, it's yep, it's it's it, within everybody's grasp, and I like the fact that. They have a, a higher quality product that has less seams to it. It feels less like a less like a mini and more like a, a small model. I think that's great. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's what's cool about this? I was talking about this with a, a friend the other day. These are the models. So when you look at it at the table, you know exactly what model you're playing against. You're not like, okay, wait, what is that model again? You know, like what is that thing? Because somebody decided to do a cool kit bash. Right? Like, you come up to the table against your opponent, you know exactly what models are on the table and what you're playing against. So. Maybe. There's pro probably going to be people that are going to do their own. I, oh, you would still hope that there would, you know. Yeah. As long yeah. as it's got the, the, right, the appropriate weapons and the appropriate base size, you can pretty much do whatever you want. Yeah, right. In 40K, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, that was my Geek Week. Um, it was kind of interesting, but, uh, yeah, moving forward. Cool. That's great. Uh, Dan, why don't you give some geek news, man? Well, uh, there's a lot happening, of course, with uh, Gen Con going online. They, Gen Con usually blows up my inbox a couple days a, mm -hmm. a week with all of the news, and, and I, I'm not going to even try to capture any of that. You can go 
can go on the Gen, Gen Con website and figure out what you want to, if you want to engage with that. Um, but all the companies that are used to putting out new products at this time of year are still got to put down put out products this time of year. So Wizards of the Coast, they announced, then they retracted, and then they, then they announced a new board game, Adventures, a, a new four-person cooperative board game as a gateway drug into D&D for total noobs. So um, I think it's interesting that they're targeting that market. They know that D&D growth is a good thing. There's a lot of people that want to get into it, but they don't know how to dip their toe in. So that's pretty uh, exciting. Uh, another one that I found interesting was Modifius, Modifius announced a closed beta test for Dune Adventures in the Imperium, the role-playing game. I'm mm. a big fan of the Dune universe. You know, I'm pretty up to speed. I've read all the novels and almost all of the other novels that were done by his son and Kevin J. Anderson. Um, so I'm a big fan of that universe and how it works and what's important and what's not important, which is very different from a lot of other sci-fi universes. So mm-hmm. the the trick is in an RPG, I'll be excited to see how the RPG writers wrestle with those issues, which are, um, you know, this is not your pulp sci-fi. This is a very different kind of headspace for science fiction. And um, I just think it would be amazing to sit down with a bunch of Dune geeks and, and geek out in an RPG setting, uh, doing Dune with a modern RPG system. And they're using the same system they, um, Modifius is using all over the place, the 2D20. It's in their track system. It's in a bunch of other places. So at least it's battle-tested and not. Um, they're not trying, trying yeah. a brand-new system out of uh, brand-new. Sometimes that can be a poison pill for With, with delicate for IP. Yeah, with delicate. That we all love and care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I feel like I need to read Dune again. Just it's been such a long time. Well, there's a new movie coming out. You can see some of the still shots online. So if you yeah. don't, never let a book spoil a movie ever, <laughs> ever. If you know a movie's coming out, don't read the book because you'll sit there the whole movie going, "Well, the book didn't. The book did this different. The book did this <laughs> different." Guess how many people who watch a movie without reading the book have that experience? None. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's very true, and I'm guilty of that so bad. I I, I went I, I got an early screening of Fellowship of the Rings, and I went with like a my the girl I was dating was really hardcore, and this was only twenty of us were in the movie theater. We got to see it the day before it opened because my buddy knew the theater owner, and she, and she dressed in costume, and her brother dressed in costume, and there were only twenty of us. She sat next to me and hit me in the arm every time they did something wrong. <laughs> and I had this huge welt in my arm by the end of the showing. That's a long movie to get hit in the arm every time they did something different from the book. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, true story. Yeah. She's divorced, by the way, guys, if you want me to hook you up. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listeners, not you guys. Listeners. Okay. <laughs> She's lovely. <laughs> anyway. Awesome. Okay, well, um, I was doing a little perusing myself. Um, first off, the for our video game enthusiasts out there, Xbox um, had their game preview this last week. Uh, Jason, did you get a chance to take a look at that? Yeah, I, I looked at some vacation. of it. haven't seen all of it yet. Yeah. So it was basically like back to 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 back like video games that are coming out for. Um, and the interesting thing is, it was an Xbox Games Pass preview. It wasn't for the next-gen console, even though it was sort of like, this is the great games you'll enjoy what? on the next-gen console. 
No, so check that out. Yeah. It, it, it is it is for the next gen console, but the point is is that all of these games are available on the PC as well. Yeah, it's their approach, their new it's, approach. There's their new approach. So play anywhere. Yep, play anywhere. So it's not about so it was about their games pass. You can get them all if you wanted, but if you have the games pass, you get all of those games for free essentially. I mean, you're yep. paying your subscription, so they're not technically free, but you know what I mean. Right. Like they come yeah. with the Games Pass thing, and there were some good-looking games on there. Um, one of them, there's a couple from Obsidian. Obsidian had the um, Outer Worlds kind of uh, follow-up game. Um, it looked almost more like an expansion than uh, a whole new Outer Worlds game. Did you play Outer? You played Outer Worlds a little bit, right? Yeah, I played a little bit of it. Uh, it didn't yeah. catch me so much, but it was okay. It felt like a weird Fallout light. Yep, exactly. You know. Um, <laughs> And but then they also previewed um, this game called Avowed, and it looks like their take on the Elder Scrolls. So I'll be kind of interesting. A lot of people were saying it sounds like um, Obsidian is out, um, out Bethesda, Bethesda ing Bethesda, in a sense, right? Like they're doing more um, to put out games than Bethesda is. Um, and so we'll see how the quality of it is. It sounded interesting, it looked interesting, but that game doesn't release till like next year. We need a show so. topic on Games Pass and subscription models. Yeah, because I I am itching to to have the cost benefit analysis conversation with you guys on oh, this yeah. subject. Very very important. Uh, and it, what's interesting is um, I think Xbox is in the middle of changing their subscription model right now. Oh yep. Mm-hmm. So that maybe that's another uh, maybe that's a, a show in the near future. And if so. we do it, I'll I'll do the Apple one. I'll do the month free uh, Apple thing, and I can say, hey, this was my experience. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a, there's a bunch of them out there. There's like you know, Humble Bundle has their Humble Choice, and um, yeah, I did that for a year you know. actually. Yeah. They're Humble. But actually, before it became Humble Choice, when it was yeah. just the straight subscription. So <clears throat> we anyway. have a good topic next time. Yeah, yeah. So, um, anyway, Xbox had something going on. Um, the uh, FFG is previewing, uh, they were previewing the Clan Ren unit for Star Wars Legion, um, which is really awesome. I mean, Clan Ren is, you know, Sabine Ren's clan from uh, Star Wars Rebels. And um, it would be awesome to see a painted unit of Mandalorians taking the battlefield. That'd be pretty sweet. That could get me involved in uh, Legion for the first time. I know that John is planning to bring Legion. I think he is um, to our little guild con. So cool. That that might be kind of fun to try out. Give it a whirl. Yeah. Um, let's see. Anything else? Oh, uh, Paizo. They are launching new Starfinder playtest content. This is a kind of an interesting thing to me because. Um, it seems to follow the same model that the Unearthed Arcana is for D&D 5e, right? So they've put out sort of these things that you can go out and play test and get feedback on, and then they may make it official. In Freaking copycats. Jeez. Know, Everything. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to harsh on Paizo. I think they're doing yeah. great work. You're doing so, great work. Uh, I don't want to play your game, but you keep keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> So I thought it was kind of interesting because, you know, I think D&D has found some really good success with their unearthed arcana. Like, a lot of people really enjoy trying them out and 
seeing if they break anything, and then giving feedback on it. Only if you have a DM that lets you try it out, Jason. <laughs> Jason. Huh? <laughs> yeah, don't don't try to hide from that. I'm not. I never tried to hide from that. I said just, no. Just. <laughs> <laughs> You, you shut down my min-maxing. I did. Yes, he did. For good yes, reason. For good reason. Uh, let's see. Last thing I have is there's a board game coming out. for. It's in pre-order right now that you can get. It's Contra, the board game. <laughs> I'm, so I, excited. I, I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds so... I don't know how this is going to work. But honestly, like <laughs> if you look at the picture of it, um, I didn't put a link in our thing, but if you put a pic- look at the picture of it, it almost looks like a Nintendo game. Like the cube that it comes in. It looks like a Nintendo game. Up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right. Yes! B-A. B-A, B-A, start. Slight start. Oh, got to do it again. Hit the reset. We blew it. We blew it. That game, there was so much adrenaline I've wasted on that game as a child. I beat it. Oh, did I you? Beat the, I, yeah, and I also beat the uh, the the Game Boy Operation C. If you guys ever played that one, the Game Boy one was an awesome game. The box of the board game looks like a Nintendo cartridge. It has that. Sold. Uh, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it does. It looks like a Nintendo cartridge. I'm s- this is one of the reasons I hate not going to Gen Con this year because this is exactly it. This right, is we're the thing. like we're missing all of this kind of thing to like being the vendor thing, and then link up later that night and be like, "Dudes, you will not believe what I saw today." Yeah. Yes. You know, I saw Contra the board game, and it looked like a Nintendo game. <laughs> <laughs> There's certain things where it's like, just take my money now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We I've we we have a few games on our shelf that we thought were amazing at Gen Con, and a few years later we're like, meh. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. It Gollum Arcana. There you go. Oh, yeah. Throw you under the bus, Gollum Arcana. That's okay. You're out of business. Yeah. 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 That's another. Right. That's a topic for another discussion. Another topic. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, all right. Let's get to our main topic of the day, which is the do's and don'ts of running published adventures. So many of our listeners um, have probably encountered published adventures in one form or another either as a gm or as a player uh i know that i have run published adventures i know that jason's run published adventures and i know for a fact that dan has run published adventures so we figured it might be a good time for us to sit down and talk about what are the pitfalls of doing this what are the benefits of doing it and uh let's get started with dan i'm going to ask you the first question you know what are the published adventures? Let me. Let, we know what published adventures are. Why do we like published adventures? Okay, first of all, they have a really important function that cannot be understated. A published adventure is a great thing for any new GM or DM. Mm-hmm. If you cannot, if if you're learning the game, a published adventure is the exact tool that you need to learn the game or if you've never RPG'd before or you have a new group full of new people that have never RPG'd before, having as many solutions in a published adventure um, can be a godsend. It can be really, really great and make the evening go really well. There are tips and tricks. We'll talk about doing that. But uh, first of all, the other reason is, um, you know, so a lot wait, of... Wait, wait, Dan, sorry. To, not to... I want to I want to pull the thread through a little bit. 
why is it good for a new GM? Okay, you're going to have stat blocks usually right at your yep. fingertips. You're going right to have your you're going to have tips on rules. Some adventures say um, everybody needs to make a roll and they need to meet this difficulty, and it's right there for you. Now, yeah. and usually those are, and if they're written well, and they almost always are, they're based on the actual rules of the game. So you will, in effect, it is one way to learn the nuances yeah. of the game. If that published adventure says, at this point in time, everybody needs to make a saving throw and beat us such and such, and then you go look up in the in the DM's guide and you see the exact same parameters that led to that role. So it, I think it, it can it, be great. Yeah, and I, I think it gives a really good uh, general flow of what an adventure in the system should kind of look like. Too. Yeah, you know. So if you're new, if you're new GM, and this is like the first time that you're really doing this, especially in a new system, right? You can kind of see like, oh, you know, if these kind of opportunities are, you know, good points for, uh, you know, a saving throw or, uh, you know, a, a perception check or something like that that you need to do, um, to keep your players engaged. So I think that they're nice guidelines on how to structure an adventure for the future if you're if you're a new GM. And they have different kinds of encounters usually. It's not just right. combat, 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 yep. or, you know, um, survival test, survival test, survival test. Usually it's mixed up. Um, you know, there's a lot of writers out there that know what a, a really good pre-written adventure looks like and feels like. And they've been out forever. I mean, the original D&D all had pre-written adventures, and so this is not there's there's the, the writers don't need to invent something new for the first time to write an yeah. adventure um what they do need to do is figure out engaging content um and have and it's also i can imagine how hard it is to write adventure i've had adventures that i thought would be great one shots that i would like publish for a convention or or put on like drive through rpg and i've never done it mainly because um it takes a lot of discipline to sit down and write that stuff out and write it down in a way where where you're not railroading um yeah. the, the activity now sometimes you'll see uh, an adventure that'll say a beginning adventure or an adventure for beginners you'll see those in the box sets those yeah. are great they're for beginners if you get a whole bunch of jaded gamers together that have been playing rpgs for who knows how long and you say okay well let's pop this box open um it may or, you may or may not have the same intended experience depending on how uh easygoing your group is well and it's interesting too um if you know we'll, just to touch on the beginner adventure if you get an experienced group of players and you get monty cook's black sun box set and nobody has ever seen this before because it's a new system and everything like that playing a beginning adventure that is sort of canned is not a bad way to get everybody on the same sheet of music yeah you yeah. know even if you're even if you're grizzled veterans now if you've all been playing D D and a new box set comes out and it's a brand new uh, you know adventure for beginners D D, you might be in a little bit of trouble there. right like there's a stranger things box set that I think yeah. would be fun to own, and I would never run it. I'd give it to my teenage daughter and say, you should play this with your friends. Yeah. And that's it. Because sitting down and playing that would be, unless you're really into Stranger Things, would be a, a, a kind of a, a little less of a, of a full-fledged RPG um, experience. 
So I totally diverted you, but why else do we like published adventures? They they do save time. I mean, I've ran campaigns for years, and I basically said I'm going to go through the pre-made adventures in in the system and throw in some of my independent adventures and create connective tissue between published adventures. Um, they, they do save time. They do save, um, they do come up with new ideas that maybe you would not have thought of if you were sitting down and writing an adventure from scratch. So they can be very helpful and, and useful. Um, the trick is if you have to sit down and read them and memorize all the nuances of the story plot, that's kind of where a thing, or if you're learning the system and there's a lot you're trying to cram into your brain, they can be, um, you know, uh, a little tricky. So it's interesting. Um, we talked a little bit about our Rogue Trader campaign. Um, and I think that a couple of the episodes when we were talking about the last few that we had together before you your move, you know, um, you were in the middle of your move when we were talking about them. Uh-huh. And I was telling Jay I wasn't loving the Rogue Trader system. I wasn't loving you know, kind of the adventure that we were running. I mean, we're running it, and we're doing okay. But this was when we were doing the Siege of the City, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of weird mechanics going on there that they that the adventure really wanted you to run. And I understand, like, it was a different way of approaching things. It was a different way of playing. And it was good for, and I put good in quotes here, right? It was a good for a, an experienced group of players because it wasn't just your typical mechanics, right? It was something a little bit different. It was bad in that literally I had spreadsheets up that I had to try to run this thing because it was just so complicated. Yeah. And, you know, it was, and and we talked about, Jason and I talked about this in the mechanics versus fluff episode earlier. Um, And I just wasn't having fun with it. Now, flash forward, we finished that arc and we're moving into a different arc. And Jason, I don't know what you think, but I'm having a lot more fun with it. Yeah, so far. It's definitely yeah. it feels more like an RPG. Yeah. At and, this point. Yep. And I don't feel so shoehorned into the adventure because it doesn't have these like, well, this adventure requires you to do these types of rules for it. You know. So mm-hmm. um that that is probably one of the downsides of um of it. I mean the upside as you were saying, uh, Dan, is that it does save a lot of time. You know, and uh, you don't have to think about, like, the story arc. You can just think about the execution. Um, but that was one of those instances where I was having to read it, reread it, reread it, look at forums on how to run this effectively. Oh, no. Like, oh, my gosh. Oh, no. This is... This is this is this is kind of jumped the shark a little bit, you know, and I and <laughs> and uh, I said, all right, we're going to try it, and I, I don't think it I don't think it worked that well. Well, it was fine. I had a great time, and I, I certainly didn't uh, didn't leave the group because of the quality of the adventure and um, the conflict was there, and uh, certain genres lend themselves to not the players shouldn't be a hot knife through butter in every situation, um, right. like and that happens in in a lot of systems. So, I think I think it was great. One of the things with the pre-made written modules is if they introduce a whole bunch of new mechanics they better be additive mechanics that can be genericized in other places besides that adventure yeah that's a really good point point. and um yeah. if they don't do that if they say well for this adventure i've created this special table and this special thing for this special adventure um uh, you're kind of the the writer was getting too precious with it i agree yeah. there was um 
There was a Shadow of the Demon Lord uh, early adventure that we played when we were first learning the system where we were hauled up in an inn. What was that called? It was like a uh, Dust Till Dawn type yeah. of setup. Yeah, Dead Till Dawn. Dead Till Dawn. And that was the problem I had with that system is that, or with that adventure is we were playing that adventure to learn the system, but I knew when we were playing it that we were employing a mechanic that would only be in this adventure. That would right. not be in the system, and that was, you know, it was kind of the siege mechanic yeah. that was in there. Of, all right, now, now you've survived a wave. Now, what are you going to do to bolster the, the building for that's the next true. wave that's coming? And it's like that—that that we never encountered that, that mechanic, for the next two years that we played the system. Yeah, right. And and ideally, and I've seen this in other times where a publisher will not want to do a separate like rule supplement but they will want to add rules and they will put it in an adventure and if they do it in a way that says this adventure will use this rule set it's an optional rule set but it's a standalone chapter in the book that's not specific to the story that's usually a a better experience and it's usually something for instance uh, i've seen it where mass combat like usually every rpg is you know small group combat right well doing a mass combat with armies uh, and large and large numbers of vehicles fighting each other that usually requires a different assessment to Mm -hmm. the rules and usually that stuff gets left on the cutting room floor when you're building out an, an rpg system so um, it can be very good. Um, the problem with those systems is also one of the big problems, and we, let's get into the why we don't like them, is the railroading aspect of a homebrew, not a yep. homebrew, of a pu- the opposite of a homebrew, of a published adventure, where there are certain things the GM just has to do to keep everybody going on to the next chapter. And uh, if you've played enough RPGs, you can feel the rails under your feet sometimes. Um, And there are players, uh, and I consider myself and Jay one of of them that enjoy sandbox RPG. Like if I want to just walk away from this and get in my ship and go do the opposite thing, will, you know, can this GM tolerate that? And will that still be fun? And uh, if if the GM is sitting there with a forty dollar book that they bought, they look at you like, dude, dude. And this was yeah. my prep was to learn this book, dude, dude. This is what we're doing. Uh, my uh, my brother is, has a great example. He was playing Shadowrun um, for you know the first edition back in the early nineties, and he sat down and he said, okay, your your uh, your fixer, your Mister Smith has has set up an uh, set up a job for you to do, and it's going to be risky, and it's this is what it's going to pay. You guys want to do it? And the players looked at each other and said, <laughs> well, no, we don't want to do that job. And my brother like closed up the book and put his dice back in the bag, and then they're like, oh wait, 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 oh yeah, we'll do it, we'll do it, okay, we'll do it, you know. Um, but that's because that was the that that was the the prep. Um, so it's that's that can be really tricky. So when I get a pre-made adventure, I cannot memorize all the characters. I cannot memorize all the plot points until I get a big piece of paper, like an 11 by 17, and I start drawing out. This happens, then this happens, and this person does this, and this person does that. Because a lot of times I'll you know get a 190 page published adventure, and I have to find my way that I have to memorize what's going on so I can use the adventure to its full. Yeah. So I can say, I have this character, this is the bad guy, this is who their minions are, this is what they want to accomplish, these are the NPCs. And I have to write that out by hand. I have to take a 100-page hardbound book 
and turn it into 11 by 17 mind map where I draw all the connections to the whole story. Then I have the ability to improv off that story or bring the PCs into the story when they when they want go astray. Now, going astray is not a bad thing. And this, here's the deep, dark secret to these, these pre-made adventures. If you are a great uh, DM or GM, if you are the person who can have the crazy cockamamie idea that the players come up with be the thing that gets them back into the story and they don't even know they did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that is the art form. If you can do that, if you can practice doing that, practice makes perfect. Um, if you have the craziest players in the world and you go, oh yeah, that idea, you know, that idea for you guys to, you know, set that villager on fire, you know who that villager was <laughs> Such yeah, and, exactly. and bring yeah. them back yeah. in, which yeah. means you got to make stuff. You have to create connective tissue from the chaos of your players. And remember there's four or five or six total chaos monkeys at the table. Yeah. Th- and there's a good phrase for that. And that is called moving the cheese, you know? Yes. If, if the venture doesn't have anything behind that door, it's just a closet, and they are so interested in that closet, put the cheese in the closet instead of in yeah. the next room. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting because uh, when we started our Shadow of the Demon Lord campaign, um, I had rolled a pre-written adventure into our initial arc. Remember, Jason, it was the, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, what was it, the ecstasy one. Uh, yeah, I don't remember what it's called, but yes, <laughs> I do remember a, that. <laughs> there was essentially a, a sex cult that was trying to summon a demon. Um, yeah, I was surprised that uh, that's where we went with that. But. Yeah. <laughs> Good old so, Shadow the Demon Lord. Yeah, yep. so uh, it, it was interesting because it was like, uh, you know, um, the way that I rolled that in there, if I remember right, is it was a lot of um, clue dropping and foreshadowing in a sense, right? So they got to this area, and it was like, well, we're trying to find this missing garrison. But then when they got there, there was, like, you know, ledgers and mission board and stuff like that that they saw in there. And there was a mission board that said, hey, there's something weird going on at this farm over there, you know. And then when they looked at a ledger, they said, hey, such and such went over to this farm and never came back, you know. And so there were, like, these little clues without me having to say, hey, guys, there's an adventure over that way that you need to go do because I paid, you know, a dollar fifty for it and, uh, you know, I prepped for it yeah. <laughs> type of thing, you know. Yeah. So yeah. go play that thing. And and so the way, the way that I um, tried to work it in was, you know, there's all of these things leading up to like, well, we should really go check that out because, you know, if we're trying to get to the bottom of this larger mystery – something happened over there that we should go go investigate mm-hmm. and I, it, see i go ahead dan oh i was just going to say published adventures are great if, if you're the if you have a group that likes solving mysteries and you like mysteries mm-hmm. publishing yeah. adventures are great because the clues because of the dotted lines and everything um that's a lot harder to come up with in, unless you enjoy writing them on your own sorry that was right. just my point um but some some player groups just hate mysteries and they just want to attack the monster Right, that's true. And I think uh, I really like one-shots, but I treat them... I, I know one-shot is not necessarily the, the thing, but a lot of times when we think of this, we think of one-shots, like when you go to a gaming convention and you sit down for mm-hmm. four hours and, you, and you, you complete the task. But it can also be source books like Out of the Abyss or you know things that are going to be over a very long amount of sessions with your group. 
Um, I like them when they're treated as just uh, descriptive material to help you build the world around you. Um, and I say that like uh, Mothership is a great example of an RPG that is built around pre-generated adventures that really only just give you a um, a floor plan. And you still have to, you still with the, the people at the table with you still come up with the story that happens inside of that adventure. Um, when we played it that one time, it was literally just, I had a bunch of tables with D10 rolls on them. Mm-hmm. And I knew you started inside a, uh, you know, we started inside a derelict spaceship. And that was a pretty much all I knew. They told me that ev- everything that I generated inside there, I just made up on the spot, honestly. There. It was, we're inside a spaceship. You guys wake up in your little chambers. You wake up early. And I know that there's a, you know, there's a dead planet nearby or, or another couple spaceships, derelict spaceships out there. And I, rather than follow through, you know, this, you know, if they go onto this spaceship, they will see exactly this. If they, you know, in order to, in order to, to uh, determine that there's a spaceship there, they have to do a scan at this console, specifically at this console. And it's like, no, it's just let them come up with things and be creative themselves. When one of the guys said, I want to go into the med bay and uh, see if the water's contaminated. Yeah. Like, all right, maybe the water will be contaminated. You know, yeah. we'll go and we'll roll and we'll yeah. see what happens. And if the water all of a sudden becomes contaminated, even though it's not written in the book, then the water was contaminated. And I say, maybe that's the reason why the captain went nuts. You know, it wasn't yeah. that he saw visions. He drank some contaminated water. You just roll for it. On the, you just yeah. let it go and let the story tell itself. Yeah. That, that's what I love about RPGs. Well, but, and I think that yeah. that brings up an important point about um, pre-published adventures. And maybe one of their um, negative aspects is that they become crutches. Right. Yep. They, mm-hmm. um, it's too easy to fall back and say, well, this is what the book says, so we have to do it. You know? Yeah. And there's so. there's other weaknesses to that. If if you if the DM is really hooked on that book, and if you have gamers like the uh, the first Dungeons and Dragons episode of Community is about uh, Chevy Chase's character oh, getting yeah. pissed <laughs> off, getting another nerd to go find a copy of the adventure. He reads it and then uses it to manipulate the the story to suit himself and to be a jerk. Um, and so you'll see in conventions, oh, look, they're running um, into the unknown. Well, okay, well, I've done that one. That might be fun. I'll just have to pretend like I don't know what's going on. So if you're using the adventure to, if, if you're starting with the recipe and customizing it, then you pretty much can dodge that bullet. Yeah. If you're if you're pedantic to the story, if the adventure has been written in such a raily, choo-choo way, that the only way to get to point Z is to go to A, the to B, the to C, the to D. There's a spoiler issue, and it's it's not insignificant. Um, it is a thing. Yeah. It is a thing. You know, you you can see this at cons too, um, and we talked about it. I think um, two weeks ago about our experience with the um, Adventures League. You know, two hour yep. intro, oh, yeah. and our session, Dan. Our, D, our GM, she was a saint, yes. right? Yeah. And she just let us roll whatever we yeah. wanted to do. Now, she would throw out, hey, you know, there's this thing down at the docks that, you know, we're asking you to do. It's kind of like the adventure hook, you know? And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll get to that. But first, I need a, I need a robe with no sleeves. 
you know so <laughs> please i would like to find that out more yeah. you know um and and she knew that we were experienced and so she let us roll with it whereas jason i think your experience was the exact opposite right yeah the lady wouldn't let us do anything that wasn't in the book yeah right yeah. It was like we had a tournament, and at the end of the tournament, there was this like, the, at the end of the tournament, you're going to win this gold cup, this special gold cup. And so I was like, and she's like, can you sense some magic around the gold cup? I was like, all right, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to roll. I want to talk to uh, one of the keepers of the cup. And she was like, he doesn't have anything to say. And I was like, okay, we're done. It's like one of those old school, you know, uh, video yeah. games where you go try yeah, to talk yeah. to a townsperson. And they don't yeah. respond. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's. I could have been an adventurer, but I took an arrow to the knee. I mean, it was just that was. <laughs> I couldn't. I still to this day cannot believe that that's how fast she ended that role play encounter. Yeah. It, she could have just. She could have just winged something with no information. But What's it was your just. Information? He has. No, he has nothing to say. All right, like, this, yeah. is, this is oh more fuel for our no-holds-barred worst RPG experiences episode. That's true. We've got to do it. I and I, I fully expect to be thrown under the bus in that episode. There's this one time, you know what Dan tried to pull. <laughs> so um, oh, We've all been bad players. So we, we talked about a little bit about the railroad. Now, the interesting thing is I think that there is a little bit of a difference between a convention one-shot that's supposed to be four hours long Mm-hmm. And a multi-session book, right, that could last a year depending on how often you meet as a gaming group. Because um, there's obviously not a lot of room in four hours to come up with a bunch of homebrew material, you know, and do a lot of kind of side exploring type of thing. Now, you can, right? If, if people really want to go off the rails and your experience with the system... It doesn't mean, you know, like, you don't have to finish the adventure. It could end up, like, in Siberia and, you know, be like, well, our time's up, guys. Well, and that... I'm glad you had fun. You know, in (laughs) a convention, like, if you're doing Pathfinder at Gen Con for two days, all of the different sessions are are organized in a way where you're supposed to get through session two and then you go to another table for session three or you stick with that GM... Yeah. And if you're, like, trying to experiment with the system and you sit down with the GM, like happened with us in Pathfinder, who's like, well, yeah, this is episode five, and had a whole chip on his shoulder that he had these newbies at the table, right. um, was a real, um, you know, I'm like, well, okay, I guess this is one way to do role-playing games if you're in the Pathfinder League and that's how you do RPGs, but I've... I've I just can't wrap my mind or my heart around that method of doing gaming. I just can't find an interest in it. I know other people love it, and I know that's the highlight of their year is to do 72 hours with one character and level them up, you know, in the same giant ballroom. But I don't know. I'm I'm not there. So I think think what I'm trying to get at a little bit is that if you're if you're at a convention and you've got an adventure, I'm not saying that you go full railroad. This is the adventure. This is what you have to do. Yeah. We literally just talked about why you shouldn't. Yeah. But I think there's a little bit less wiggle room in terms of a total open sandbox. Yeah. I think the you I know? think hopefully players at conventions are a little more lenient on that kind of thing. Yeah. Like if if they present to you like, hey, this is the player hook, you know, and I mean they do it in kind of a tactful way, not just say like, here's the player hook, but you know, here here's the hook. You know, it's sort of a common understanding that you pick it up and you run with it. And and know? to be fair, most of them have rules that they've been given, 
right. on how to on how to GM or DM, which you'd never have in your own basement. Right. You know, and yeah. so yeah. It, it is it's comparable, but it's not some you know per- perfectly identical of a situation. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm looking at this Death Watch convention packet that I have right, and there's not a lot of wiggle room in the thing. You know, I mean, it's it's going to be an adventure, and we're going to have a lot of fun with it. But it's not like, oh, I, well, I feel like uh, ditching this mission and going exploring that planet over there. Like, that's just not in the cards for that mission. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, and it's the way that it's set up will hopefully help the players understand, okay, this is what our objective is in front of us, is what we got to go do. Um, but it's just, um, it's a little bit different running a one-shot versus... Uh, you know, a multi-arc series. And, and Jason, I know you ran Out of the Abyss for us for about, yeah. what, six months? or I did, the, I did half of it for about, yeah. it was about seven months. Seven yeah, months. Yeah, for my half. And, yeah, yeah why, don't you, why don't you tell your experience a little bit? Because, I mean, I know you tried to stick to a lot of the book, but... I tr- yeah. You know, it, and this is the thing, is this was the first time as a DM I tried to stay with the narrative that was in the entire book. So I read that entire book so that I could try to maintain consistency because I wanted to try to do the pure, I wanted to follow what the writers were doing. I was doing an experiment with it. And I'll say that I, I really struggled with it. I struggled mm-hmm. having to, to force myself to kind of stay in the bounds of the story because I'm, I'm such a sandboxy GM too uh, when, it com- when it comes to being a GM. And yeah. I felt like there were several times where you know, I'm always cognizant of story over mechanics, and I wanted to make sure that the players have fun, but that that, that system had some of those things we were talking about, where it had some mechanics that were specific just to that place in the abyss that you were at, and not necessarily specific to Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. Yeah. Um, and I struggle with that um, a lot. Um, I would say... Um, if I were to do it again, I would probably just have... The thing about that book is it was organized as, here's the abyss. Right. Here are like seven locations in the abyss. Yep. Here are six monsters that are at those locations. And one of them didn't have it. At those locations. Yeah. Here's how you get between the locations. And here's a bunch of encounter tables. So it kind of had a pure like old school Dungeons & Dragons of, you know roll to see what kind of encounters you have every day. Um, I think if I were to do it again, I would take that, I would understand it, uh, and then just kind of run with it. Let me say one more thing about this is, at the end, when I was getting near the end, um, I twice I deviated from the book because Uh I was just like, we're just going to have a good time tonight. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And twice I deviated from the book, and those were the most fun encounters we had as a group. One of them was all of a sudden we were in like a crystal. I don't remember Dan. We were in a crystal cave, and there was this these weird crystal things on the wall. And every time I somebody swung and missed, but they were near a wall, I had them hit the wall, and the crystals (laughs) exploded, and everybody was blinded. And then people were swinging wildly. Yeah, so it was just that was not in the book. I just kind of jerry rigged that up. And the other one was the um, the layer of the. the uh, uh, Medusa. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a, I totally just winged that whole entire thing. And I feel like we had more one. fun because we were just allowed to be free. 
and do fun stuff. I mean, by the time we ended that encounter, the entire room was on fire, right? There were people, yeah. like, under tables. The tapestries were burning. Like, yeah, half were, of you were turned to stone. The, the, it was great. The, right. monsters, <laughs> the monsters hated it as much as we did. It yeah, was great. Yeah, and that's the great, yeah. Now, well, you know, and I think it fit your GM style better, and that's why yeah. I think that you felt better with it. Probably. And probably yeah. why we felt better with it, because... You know, you are a, I'm going to, like, this is the broad brush strokes. I know how to get from point A to point B, but I'm going to yeah. take my own route. And I'm going to let the players take their own route, right? And um, it's interesting because my play style is not necessarily like that. I like to write everything out. I even like to write dialogue out. But it doesn't mean that I always use the dialogue. It just means that I'm prepped in my head for when we have gotcha. a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so... I am very linear in like this is how we go, and you could almost say it's a little railroady, but it's very linear. But because I'm prepped for the linear, I can take detours. So I think both you know I mean? both of you have given examples tonight, and for our listeners and our friends and ourselves, get a pen, write this down, carve it into stone. The GM is a player too. You are Mm -hmm. a player too. And if you are not having fun, no one else is going to be really having fun. If the GM is sitting there seething going, why am I doing this with my spare time? So (laughs) you have to make it fun. Like, you know, like your experience that you had, Justin, with um, those mechanics for uh, 40, you know, Rogue Trader. It's like, it's got to be fun for you, and 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 so be a player and have fun and enjoy it. And that does not mean try to kill the players. That's not what I mean. <laughs> that can be fun. It's rewarding. That is fun. It's rewarding in its own special way. But that's not that's yeah. not what that means. Uh, right. Don't be. It's not it's not a competitive board game, right? So, but but pay attention to that aspect because if if you're trying to derive see they've already got their money they wrote that book you know nine months ago they sent it to the publisher yeah. in china it hit the shelves everybody who was invested in that has walked away from it and it's just you in the room with the dice and your friends and figure out a way to have fun and if if sticking to the book is the best way to have fun do it yeah yeah here's another quick little tidbit i know we're short on time um uh, if you have an ongoing campaign and you interject written adventures into the ongoing campaign, swap out the NPCs with familiar NPCs. Yeah, that's a good point. Do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. If there's familiar faces, if you can think of a logical reason why they would bump into so-and-so again, and um, both good and bad, not just the twirly, mustache bad guy, but the people that make the universe feel normal... Um, there's a, there's a, a, a low-level crime boss in uh, the Force and Destiny box. His name was Heavy Gone. And I gave, put a lot of character into Heavy Gone, and we played in a campaign that lasted two years, and every once in a while, Heavy Gone would show up again. And my characters were like, oh, it's Heavy Gone, it's Heavy Gone, we love it, we love it, we love it. Um, and and that's not just to pat myself on the back, but that's to say when you when you populate the universe with familiar characters, um, there's a different level of story investment and a different emotional investment in into what's happening in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very well said. I think that's great. And you know what's funny is those little NPCs that keep popping up are usually the most memorable. Oh yeah, you know. And the people remember that little halfling Jason that would always keep showing up in our mm-hmm. in our. <laughs> Shadow of the Demon Lord campaign, 
And um, you know, there was stuff where I worked him into uh, I worked him into something that we ended up um, at, at an adventure that you guys did. He'd give you like a hint of if you let him go, you know, he'd give you a tip or something like that. And um, I think that that's an absolutely great point of uh, working that in there. The other the other pro that I would say real quick is is kind of my parting thought about working. Um, maybe pre-written adventures. This worked well with the Shadow of the Demon Lord because all the pre-written adventures are pretty much one-shots. And so we had a homebrew campaign where I pretty much did three, maybe two to three homebrew stuff and then would interject one um, pre-written adventure. And I kind of followed that pattern throughout our thing. Um, and the, the thing about doing that, I think, is it is a bit of a refresher for everybody. Right, because I know that I get sort of into a GM play style, and sometimes my um, game sessions start to look very similar to each other. Right, I have like a lot of the same mechanics going yeah. on. I got a lot of the same art going on, and when you can work in a piece of work that is written by somebody completely different, all of a sudden it feels fresh. Feels yeah, fresh. It feels a little bit new. Too. And I'm going to build on your point, Justin. Not only do you have to do that, but there's another important thing. If you're playing, if there's two published adventures that have the same basic plot, don't do it again. For instance, we did the... I made the mistake of doing a short adventure that was a museum heist as our second episode and thought that was fun. And then I had a published module that was also a museum heist and for months, they throw tom- they threw tomatoes at me saying, are we doing another uh, museum heist today? Is that what we're doing, Dan? We're doing another muse- museum heist? And I've never been able to live it down. And to make it worse, I went and bought another published module thinking I was going to do it, run it, and I was reading through it. It was too close to what we had done in another part of the campaign. And I've never ran it. I put it on the shelf and said, well, that'll be for another group. Because mm-hmm. I didn't want the museum heist tomatoes being thrown at me again. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah. Very good point. Jason, any thought? Any parting thoughts? No, man. I think Dan's made some good advice. Just remember that the DM is a player, too. And if you're not having fun, then they're not going to have fun, too. Yeah. Because the how you are... Ha- how the night is going for you is going to be a direct reflection on everyone else at the table and what they can have. Absolutely. Have a good time with it. Don't just... Just have fun, man. Tell stories. That's what the reason we do this. We're Tell we're stories. we're a type of we are a type of um, species that loves to tell stories and yeah. loves to to make things up and have imagination. So have a have a good amount time with it. Yeah, Amen. great stuff. Great stuff. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Uh, hopefully you got some things that you can take away with you. And um, listen, hit us up on. Um, Hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up on in the comments of this. Um, I do have to give a little bit of shout out to um, just real quick as we part to two of our listeners. Um, we had John, and um, we had another one. I'm looking up his name right now. Um, they helped us um, uh, recognize that we had an issue with one of our episodes uh, last last time. So. Um, Dang it! I'm sorry. I'm just looking That's it okay. up and I can't find it. I will. I will shout you out next time. I'm sorry, my friend. But we're um, gonna write a poem yeah. about you next time. A ballad, yeah. a long ballad. Uh, 
<laughs> a war like saga, to, maybe. Yeah, I'd like to do a shout out to all our Patreon fans out there. <laughs> yeah, if we had Patreon <laughs> friends, right? And that was it. We've that never it, set yeah, up a so. Patreon. <laughs> no, oh, dang, I forgot to do a Patreon. Yeah. 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 So anyway, it was uh yeah, but we, we had an issue with the episodes, but we got it figured out and thank you to our fans for reaching out and letting us know that um we had the issue, we got it fixed and we're good to go. So thank you very much. Have a great night. We will catch you next week. See ya. Good night.